During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre-Mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to rabbidkatz at gmail.com indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting, and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday morning. It's a little unusual, but my whole schedule's whacked out, so I think everybody's living on the unusual schedule. And I wanted to put a few things out this week for a number of reasons. Um... But uh, before I do anything else, let me say that today's, this morning's podcast, which I want to talk about the parshas that we're doing, sort of a supplement that I did the other day, is uh, being uh, sponsored in memory of uh, Ruven Ben Baruch, as uh, Lawrence Blackley Block's uh, grandfather, Dr. Robert Lowenberg, he told me, he said was an historian, I don't know him, but uh, I hope the Nisham Shabbat and the yard site was, like a few days ago, just before Rosh Chodesh, and uh, we're all living in crazy times at all. It's all I can say. He said he used to listen to the Shiorn, whatever, but I do hope, as I said before, that uh, the Black family and everybody should have a slach and the Shem Shem and Aliyah. Uh, that would be his his uh, grandfather, this is. Anyway, um, you know, it's funny when you're stuck at home, so there's pluses and minuses. So one of the pluses, I guess, was I had all Shabbos by myself. I mean, that's what everybody's doing, right? You know, no, no minion. And uh, even in Benny Brock, they caught up to it, according to the paper today, to have no minion. Um, and so it made me introspect on the parsha because usually on Shabbos, you know, if you're in the rabbi business, you have this year, then you got a this, you have a sermon, you have you know, all these other things that take your mind. As the old expression goes, there's so much, uh, you know, learning to do, you have no time to think. And this time, I had some time to think. Plus, it's also based on, uh, well, um, Medeshrab, I noticed the other Thursday night when we did our Shear, the Medeshrab class, and that has to do with the Ohel Moed. Um, here we are in uh, Vayikra and Tzab and Shemini and all that, and everybody knows, now we get down to the Karmonas. And uh, like I said before, if you step back from it and look in a broad sense, it's actually very interesting in many respects, at least in my opinion. And I'll tell you, I'll get right to the point. <coughs> um... Whatever From now all the conversation will be from the Ohel Moed. Translate the word Ohel Moed. If you think about it for a second, which I did yesterday, is a very unclear term. If you do a little bit of research, which is all I did yesterday, a little bit, then you'll see Ohel Moed is, a, is an extremely unusual uh, uh, term. And uh, it denotes, I got this from the Medrash the other day, a change in the mode of communication, which I find very interesting. To to, to make it uh, short and simple, in Shemos, as far as I can see, God is always speaking from the top of the mountain. Um, in Book of Ikra, it's already moved down to something called the Mishkan. Notice cl- visually, the Mishkan is located at the base of the mountain. Is that correct? Because the whole Book of Ikra 
into Bamidbar till till they start moving, the whole from you know for quite a while, the whole uh, book of Yikra is taking place next to Mount Sinai, but not on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments and the other pronouncements were given to Mount Sinai, but Har Sinai not from now on. Uh, which why? Now to get more uh, specific, uh, it's very interesting if you follow Rashi as opposed to Ramban, I feel more comfortable sitting here this weekend with Rashi's interpretation. Then what happens, this is Rashi in uh, Kisisa, I guess, that uh, what happens in terms of the uh, chain of events was as follows. Once again, on Shavuos, they got the Ten Commandments pronounced. Then um, over the next 39, 40 days, uh, Moshe went into the cloud and was there, and the Jewish people were at the base of the mountain, and as we all know, at the end of those 40 days, two things happen. Hashem gives Moshe the two tablets, but at downstairs, they make a golden calf. That's the Shavasa Batamas. And then he comes down, and he breaks the tablets, and destroys the golden calf. And then, without, you know, getting a hyper over a day or two, over the next 40 days, Moshe goes back up the mountain, and uh, prays the head off that God should not uh, wipe out the Jews. So whatever conversation is taking place, is taking place at the top of the mountain, you know. And Hashem says, All that stuff is taking place on the mountain. Fine. And then, as we know, by tradition, after 40 days, Hashem says, Okay, I give up. I won't kill him. And then Moshe goes up another 40 days, roughly from Rosh Chodesh Elul to uh, what we call Yom Kippur, in order to get the second tablets and patch things up as best as he could. And uh, it's a, there's, all this is in a Rashi somewhere, in the, and you can read the exact uh, terminology somewhere in, the, I think, Periglamid Base or Gimel, wherever, in Kisiso. Anyway, uh, I just don't have it in front of me. And uh, so, and of course, he gives him the second tablet on Yom Kippur. Now, listen closely. What happens afterwards? Um, you know, hold on, I'm going to get a Rashi. One second. Okay, here, it's in, Lama, it's in Kisiso 3311. Periklamid Gimel Pasuk Yudalov. I usually don't do this, but this is a special case. So, I'll tell you what triggered this to me. Because I remember, as you do, that in the aftermath of the golden calf, so Hashem tells Moshe, in the beginning of Periklamid Gimel, that I'm not go- you go to Israel, I'm not going to be with you anymore. We know that. And everybody gets depressed. And... Uh, and then what does it say in Pasuk Zion? Moshe Yikach has O'el, not to Michutz Lamachana. So Moshe took a tent. Okay, now what tent? You know, but he took, let's say his tent. I don't know. Seriously, let's say his tent. And he put it Michutz Lamachana, Harchik Menemachana, at quite a distance. Vakarla O'el Moed. So that's the first time you get the expression O'el Moed. This is not identical with the Mishkan. Okay, hold on. From then on, Whoever was a Mavakish Hashem, which is a very intriguing phrase, that lends itself to a lot of Hasidic interpretations. But let come Pashup Shad, whoever was from, uh, would go to the Oal Moed Hashem Michutz Lamachana. And it was, a, it was seen by the public, but it was outside the camp. That itself is interesting. How you could say Moshe Al Oel, and when Moshe would go there, everybody would stand up, and that's where God would speak to him. Kibam Moshe Ola, Yerid An Munha Onon, Baman Pesach Moshe. That's where God would speak to him, and the people would see it. Pel Peh. And so on and so forth. Now, um, and then he would return to the Machna. What does that mean? 
So God would tell him, God would tell him the following rules or laws, and then Moshe would get it by himself, not like at Mount Sinai, but just by himself in the in the tent, and then he would go tell the others what God just told him. That's the original way the Torah was taught, according to this interpretation. Now listen closely. This Ohel Moed situation, I will call, I'll refer to this as Ohel Moed A, as opposed to what we see in the book of Ayikra, which is Ohel Moed B. I don't know if you notice this, maybe it's Pasha to you. I usually don't give it much thought. Thanks to my isolation this week, I gave it some thought. Rashi says, So that means that there was this Ohel Moed business, meaning the private tent of Moses. <laughs> and uh, that's where, and, and it served as an Ohel Moed for about five months, close to six months. What, what do I mean? I won't read the whole Rashi. I'll just tell you out loud that, um, uh, as I said before, by Yom Kippur, which is X number of months after Shavuos, God finally gave him the second tablets. But then, even after giving the second tablets, it ain't hunky-dory. And Hashem said, I still don't want to you know, be with you much as please do. And he said, okay, I'll do it in the following way. I won't speak to the people, but I'll speak to you downstairs. I'll speak to you. And uh, this is what it, this is what way, the way the story boils down. And, uh, you know, set up a tent. Obviously, if Moshe did this, he either on his own or, or, or God's instructions. So he says, okay, fine, we're going to have a different system. I'm going to put a tent outside the camp, and that tent will be the Oel Moed. And that's the way it was from Yom Kippur, the after Yom Kippur, until Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is the other day. What do I mean? In the aftermath of Yom Kippur, the story goes, Hashem said, go build a Mishkan, which was concluded by Hanukkah, I mentioned that the other day. But even though the building of the Mishkan was concluded by Hanukkah, they didn't erect it until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So from Yom Kippur to Rosh Chodesh Nisan is almost six months. And during that time, which was a considerable amount of time, uh, so uh, God is speaking to the Jews when he speaks to the Jews, well, he doesn't. He speaks to Moshe outside the, the camp. That's sort of a, um, what's the right, that, that's sort of a, a, a way of saying, I don't want to be in your camp. I don't want to be in your camp. Um, now, on the other hand, he said, which is kind of funny. So the idea is, until the Mishkan is ready to go, I'm not going to be B'Shachan Debesocham. But instead, I'll be nearby talking to Moshe. Now, where was this tent set up? So I just happened to see yesterday the Abarbanel, don't ask me where I looked, and the Abarbanel said the tent was at the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai. That way it could be seen by everybody, it's the most efficient way of operating, and so on and so forth, which is fascinating to me. Because what it means, therefore, is that during these six months, from Yom Kippur to Rosh Chodesh Nisan, uh, Hashem is still talking to the Jewish people from the top of the mountain. Not the same way he did before, meaning when he did the Ten Commandments, he spoke directly to the people, at least for part of it. But now he has this more intimate, private situation. So I'm just telling you to sit back and let's pretend we're rushing the Barbanel. And so imagine Har Sinai, which isn't that tall, we're told. And at the top is Moshe's uh, uh, tent. And uh, that's where the Shechina comes and talks to Moshe or whatever it is. Whatever happened over there. But Debrash, upon him, upon him. And it says the people could see it. 
right? Because it's, I mean, those words are there. Veral kol amis amudon amipesach oel, and and what he called. So the people could sort of see, you know, what's going on, that Moshe is uh, getting these uh, uh, communications. But then he comes down to the mountain and tells the people what it is. So this is something I don't think most of ever think about. We think, for example, of the original Shavuos, and we think of Shavuos of Thomas when Moses comes down from the mountain with the two tablets. But here you have Moshe coming down every day or two, for all I know, with whatever instructions are told. All the Mishkan thing is taking place in the context that the Mishkan is being constructed at the base of the mountain, and the guy running the whole operation, which is Moshe Rabbeinu, is at the top of the mountain, coming up and down, and this becomes the way of God communicating with the with the people from the top of the mountain. Uh, before that, without an Ohel Mohed, and now with an Ohel Mohed, meaning a tent of meeting. But then we erect the Mishkan on Rosh Nisan, what's called Yat Pekudeh, Parsha Pekudeh. And then comes the Parshas that you and I are dealing with now, Vayikra and Tzav and Shemini. And what happens over there? Vayikra um, El-Moshe. The, it's, the Ohel Moed A ceases to be. Um, and now you have Ohel Moed B. From now on, God is not speaking from the top of the mountain. And the Medrash Rabbah pretty much says these words. I don't have the Medrash in front of me. I found it the other day in the class. It's in the first parak in the in Medrash Rabbah Vayikra. But even as I open it now, without wasting your time, I notice a, a bunch of uh, statements alluding to what I want to say. And that is that it seems to me that what we're, what's, what's happening in this dramatic shift where... Once upon a time, the, the the voice of God is coming from the top of the mountain, and now it's coming in what's called the El Moed, which means a different El Moed is the El Moed B. What exactly that means, the El Moed B, is very confusing to me and to many people when you study it seriously, at least at this point. Uh, some say the El Moed is identical with the Mishkan. Some say it's like the Kodesh Kodashim or something like that. Uh, some say it's other things. It, the, the word El Moed is used in funny ways, tend to meeting. And there are too many psukim in the Chumash that sort of contradict each other, it seems to me, contradict each other, for, you know, to give a simple interpretation. Um, but what, what, what is clear is that for now, the communication is coming from the, from the Mishkan. Now, Vayikra, El Moshe, at the beginning of the Parsha, and all the Parsha that we're doing now, they emphasize the fact that from now on, Vayidabar El Himi Lomi El Moed Lamor, that he's going to speak to him from the El Moed, meaning not the one that he spoke about before, but the one in the Mishkan. And uh, there are a lot of different chazals on this, and a lot of contradictory things going on over here. Uh, and the most, and it's, it's a different nature of Kedusha. Let's put it that way. When Hashem is on the mountain, that's one thing, and when He's downstairs at the base of the mountain, it's different. You know, the, the visual aspect, that you see a lot of times the stories of the Torah, are, uh, they're literal, but they're also symbolic at the same time. So, in other words, Moshe goes up a mountain to talk to God. but And he does. There's a place called Mount Sinai. But that's not the real story going up there. The going up is going to Shemaim, which means that's nothing physical. It's happening mentally, although it is happening. It's not a fantasy, you understand? He's going up to Shemayim, he's going. So he walks physically up a mountain, but that's not really the mountain that counts. The mountain that counts is the, the spiritual, the Ruchnius one, or the one that's happening mentally. Here you have the reverse. The, Moshe is going, the, the voice of God is going down from the mountain to the earth. It's 
going down from the mountain to the Mishkan, which is at the base. It was just interesting to me, which means it's, it's a different level, a lower level perhaps, different level of communication that's taking place over here. What kind of different level would this be? To me, the, the uh, obvious answer suggests itself, we're going from the universal to the particularistic. And what I mean is that uh, everybody knows, it's already in Michelta, that it's weird that the Torah, the Ten Commandments were pronounced on Harsinai, because it's not part of Israel. Uh, why does Shem do it that way? The right way for the story to go, as you and I know, if we were writing the script, was that God would have taken the Jews out of Egypt, take them straight to Jerusalem, it's not that far away, going to Har Maria, the holiest place in the world, and there the Claudius would be gathered around the mountain, and Moshe would go to the top of the mountain, and there God would speak to the Jewish people for a grand total of once, you know, and give the Ten Commandments, and it'd be unbelievably Kedusha Degasin, and later on they would build a base a, a, um, Amigdosh on that spot, because that's where the highest Kedusha was ever uh, displayed. You know, that's the way it should be. Knows the holiest place in the world should be where the Ten Commandments are given. However, that is not the case. Instead, the Torah was given outside of Israel. Uh, you know, in, in a place, as in the words of the uh, Mechalta, I remember this, Demos Parhesio, in public space that belongs to nobody. It's Greek. Demos and Parhesio, you know Parhesio means. And Demos means the public, people, democracy. So, Abu uh, Shemal says, the Torah was given Demos Parhesio, and the reason is because the Torah was universal. It's for the Umas Olam also, which means that the way we understand it is the Jewish religion is not only for the Jews. The way it evolved, it evolved historically is it's only for the Jews. But the basic message of monotheism and everything goes along with that is for everybody, which you recite three times a day in the second paragraph of Olenu Shabbat. or am I wrong? <laughs> Just read that paragraph. Now, uh, ultimately, our goal is a universalistic one. We don't imagine a messianic era in which the Jews are top and beat everybody else up, but rather that the Jews enlighten everyone else. I repeat, just look at the second paragraph of Al-Kain. You see, we say that every day. Now, um, it didn't exactly turn out that way. In the famous language of the Sifri that you and I learned since we're kids, Hashem offered the Torah to all the other nations, they turned it down. Okay, fine. You know, however you understand that. I don't know if that's literal or not. I mean, the, you know, there's no historic, uh, you know, record. What does he mean that God went to the Edomites or whatever, you know, to the, to the Romans? But one thing is clear, that it, started out as universalistic sort of thing, but then it switched to a particularistic one. That happens in Vayikra, that's my point. Uh, that's the Mishkan. Because the Mishkan, among other things, is saying that uh, until now, I'm talking from the mountain. Anybody can hear it. Right? It's, it's not in Israel. The voice of the God, there are many Midrashim, you've heard this before, that when Hashem said Ten Commandments, they heard it around the world. Remember the shot heard around the world? Here's the Dibur heard around the world. In the same way that they say that when they split the Red Sea, all the waters split. You've heard that also. These are old Midrashim. This is nothing new. These are ancient teachings. Uh, so the, all this is to convey the idea that the Ten Commandments, other than the Anochi Hashem Malkecho, the Ten Commandments are kind of universal. Lo Tirzich, Lo Sinov, Lo Signov, even Shabbos as a recognition that God rested and all that, you know. These are all universalistic ideas. Uh, that don't necessarily apply only to the Jews. That's the way it turned out. Uh, but, and there is discussion, believe it or not, in the Men of Shabbat and the Parsha of Yisrael, I happen to remember this, whether Anoch is one of the Ten Commandments or not, maybe it's the Nine Commandments, you know, because it's like introductory. But all the other things, these are all applied to everybody. So, um, 
the Torah is originally given in a broad, demos perhaps a universalistic way. And um, I think the meaning of that, when the rabbi spoke about this in the Michelt and such places, was that the Jewish religion is not one which we, you, you have the right to turn away converts. If people want to join, they can join. Uh, that's tricky business, of course, because we, of course, we're referring to Gerd Sedex over here, right? So Gerd Sedex, you don't have the right to turn away. Now, you have the right to turn away, but you don't have the moral right to turn away. If no Bezin wants to be Makabla Gerd Sedex, then they're not Jewish. That's a halachic business. That's a, that's a particularistic business. That could happen. They say that was a story with, uh, what's her name? You know, the, the mother of uh, Moloch, uh, Timna, right? A notorious case. But typically speaking, if a Ruth comes by and says, I want to join, and it's the real thing, no romantic reason whatsoever, just 100% Lishma, then you can't say, well, the Torah is only given, you know, for the Jewish people, like we see in the davening on Shabbos. That could possibly be read as a very racist kind of thing. And La Fouquet that, they say, no, the Torah is given, not in Israel, but in public space. Matter of fact, in a desert. Literally didn't belong to anybody. It's like a hefker. You know, it wasn't given in Egypt, wasn't given in Russia, wasn't given in Italy. It's given in a place that didn't belong to anybody. It's a Sina, you know, it's a hefker. All these just very interesting ideas. Now, that means that um, when the Ten Commandments were pronounced and all the rest of it, uh, it wasn't only for the Jews necessarily. And as a matter of historic fact, there were plenty of people, you know this and I know this, who were present at the giving of the Ten Commandments the pronouncing Ten Commandments, or the Erev Rav, which means they weren't Jewish. The Erev Rav was one of these uh, 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 areas, you know. As I always say, the Rambam, at least if you follow the classification of Rambam, in uh, Perak Yud Gimbal over there in Esuribia, so you got your three types. You got your Ger Tzedek, which I just described, and you got your regular Ger, who becomes uh, Jewish for ulterior motives, but keeps everything. Well, but keeps everything. So, which, which is most Gerim, right? Those boy meets girl, boy agrees to convert in order to marry a girl, or vice versa. For example, there could be other, but that's a classic example. Uh, the world is full of such people. If they promise and keep all the mitzvahs, no problem. You know, I mean, we, we would have preferred Jewish boy met Jewish girl. I get that. And, you know, I, I know that a Gerasetic, they're not. But on the other hand, they could be big tzaddikim, and many are. I'll say it again. They could be big tzaddikim, many are, no matter how they originally came to Judaism. Many are. I know many people like that. Uh, but then you have the third category where they say they, they want to be Jewish, but they uh, 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 you know, didn't really keep anything, and you don't know where they meant it, and it's a whole mess like a tar baby. You know, you don't know what to do with it. And that's the words of the Rambam, by the way. This is a pachas, the negat saras. You don't know what to do with it. And he specifically refers to the Asafsuf in the Ear of Rav. Take a look at the very end. I haven't, don't ask me why I remember. I haven't remembered this. At the very end, the Parakud Gimel of Hilkas Surabiyah. Uh, he uses those words. And uh, that means that you had a lot of these people at the basis, at the, literally physically standing there at Harsinai, which is just interesting. So not everybody, the Torah was given not only to people who were Jewish, but also a fair number of people, we don't know how many, that were not. However, according to traditional teaching, certainly the Rambam and others, um, they misinterpreted and made a golden kif. That's Guvadavart. They stood at the Harsinai, they heard Anokh Hashem al and lo yelohim and all that business, and they made a golden kif. This is going with the Mandamur, which is very widely spread in the Chazal, that the people who instigated and made, the main people made the golden kif was Eirav. And so, 
um, everything that follows after the story of the golden calf is in the light of, in the shadow of that story, I should say. And afterwards comes a Mishkan, which can be understood as an antidote um, to the uh, Egel Azov story, as we mentioned before. You know, people come believe to God forgive the Jews, and they say, see, come over here, and you'll see the, the Shekhinah there. And um, that takes you to past, you know, Kisisa, Vayaka Pekude. And all these stories are happening at that time. But what's the new plan? The new plan, Hashem says, I'm not going to speak anymore from, from um, uh, what do you call it, the top of the mountain. But also, Levigdash was Shachanti Besocham. All of a sudden, Besocham comes an exclusive thing. I'll be only Shechina Besocham and not among the Goyim, only, only there. And that's the significance of what you find with the Parshish Vayikra. From now on, all the Diburim are going to be highly particularistic. The Karbonos are going to be rather particularistic. They're only going to apply, as you know, for the cholesterol, the vast majority of them. And uh, uh, what shall I say? Human history is taking a different turn. The Jewish group is going to be highly uh, what's exclusive, shall I say. Um, it's only going to be for Jews. And I opened the Medrash Rabbah in front of me, and I see in the first parak over there, in Yod Aleph, it says that the Achlohukam Amishkan Hayumus Olam Shomim Koladibor Vinutasim Panuktan. That prior to the synagogue of the Mishkan, the Goyim heard the Umas Olam heard the Kol Hadibor, and they and they hurled themselves back for the from the power of the speech, which is very suggestive, and then meaning that there was a universalistic aspect to it, reflected in the fact that it's the top of a mountain with no bar- barriers and anybody can hear a loud voice, and whether you're Jewish or not. Uh, but now, it's it's not that way. Uh, now it's going to be um, let's put it this way a uh, a place in the Mishkan. Um, what you and I would call the the the, the Kodesh Kadashim or something like that, or right in front of the Kodesh Kadashim, you know, Mibenshne Akruvim, and, uh, you know, wherever Moshe physically stood, it's not clear to me, and uh, nobody can hear it. It's a, you know, it's a conversation with God and Moshe, meaning it's a, it's a conversation with God and the Jewish people. Uh, it's, you know, these are instructions only Dabro B'nai Yisrael. And every time you're going to read now, Vayidabra Shemal Moshe Limo, which you're going to read all over the place in Vayikra, is coming now from the old Moe. It's not from Harsina anymore. Even though they are at the ba- physically at the base of Sinai. No, they don't leave. For the whole book of Yikra, they're standing next to Harsinai. They just, nobody walks up there anymore. The tent that Moshe set up was Ohel Moed A. That is taken apart. And now, Vayikra and Moshe, God summons Moshe from the crowd, as we all know. And, uh, uh, and he says, you come in here. So it's a different Madrig of Dibur. That's all I'm trying to say. And it's one that is less public and more recondite. Um, what I mean is, it's like a, it, it seems to me, that's all I can tell you, it seems to be a higher level of communication or a more difficult to enter level of communication. And I just looked up yesterday, because I had time on my hands, in uh, Yuma, in the Daftalid, it said that uh, when God, when Hashem calls Moshe, <coughs> in one case is he's typhus. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. He's typhus him and, and schleps him in, and the other one says it, it, it's a shavil, which is very fascinating uh, on Daf Dalid. That one says that you know Moshe couldn't enter the, into uh, com- that kind of communication with God in, in the uh, Oel Moed, but Hashem was typhus him, grabbed him, brought him in, which means it's a superhuman experience, and without divine help, you can't get there. It's a madrega that Moshe couldn't do on his own. Just God. 
Tophis, schlepped him, brought him in. Uh, Moshe couldn't reach it on his own. And this is the same Moshe who, um, in, in, in Shmo, said, show me your face. You know, I don't know how you operate and all that stuff. And was told you can only see my back and not my front. And now he's saying, uh, come on over here. I'll, I'll, I'll take you and we'll have, a, we'll have a, diff- a, a, a new mode of communication. And all these rules and ritualistic stuff that you find in Vayikra, which is full of carbonus and Tuma and Tahira and, all, and, and intermarriage, all these other kind of rules, uh, are now, what shall I say, quite uh, ritualistic and particularistic. It's a different tone in the book of Eichra than what you find elsewhere. With the exception of Parshas Kedoshim, as I'm sitting here talking now, I don't see any kind of uh, non-ritualistic stuff in the book of Eichra, do you? The whole thing is Karbanas, which are rituals, and Tum and Tahara. As I said before, you got your um, uh, um, rituals, Achimos is, is Yom Kippur ritual, you know, Avodos Beis Migdosh, Avodos Mishkan. And uh, your intermarriage rules, you know, prohibitions. The only exception is Kedoshim Tiu. You know what I mean? There you find There you find some universalistic things, which is kind of interesting. It's like outlier in the book of Yikra, but the vast majority of it is now taking place in this old Moe situation, and it's Jewish territory, because one, this is the first state of Israel. I, I mean it. The first state of Israel. For the first time, the Jewish people are not simply walking in public area, but they have created a Jewish space specifically Jewish space. It was rules and regulations. That's the Tum and Tahara, you know. Uh, for example, a Tommy person or something like that can't go into the Mishkan, right? You know, like the same in Beis HaMikdash, what they call Bias uh, Mishkan. And, uh, you know, all, there's all kinds of rules and regulations. Who can go where? Machne Levia, Machne Shechina, and so on and so forth. And uh, life becomes highly regulated. Highly regulated. And um, this is indicating uh, a new particularistic phase in the history of the world, which is there till, till uh, today. And again, I'm looking here in the Medish in, in Yud Beis and Perak Aleph. That's exactly what I just said. That until then, people could hear the voice of the Lord, and afterwards they can't, which means the, the rest of the world becomes highly uh, paganistic in a way that hadn't been the case before. And the Jewish people are going in the other direction, although they had a long way to go. Because one of the uh, purposes of the Olmaid, one of the purposes of the Olmaid, is like the Rambam says, to, to get him out of uh, idolatry. People always screaming at the Rambam, the Mernabuchim, because he said the reason for the Karbonus is people hooked in idol worship in those days and different types of pagan Karbonus. And if God said, I'll give you religion with no Karbonus, they couldn't handle it. Therefore he told them, uh, you do the carbonus, but do them in a way that's different than the goyim. And all hell is broken loose ever since then, as we all know. Ramban leads the charge, but a lot of people say, how can you say something as sublime as the carbonus uh, is just historically uh, situated so that nowadays when we don't think like that, we're more, shall we say, sophisticated. So consequently, we don't need a mishkan. Nobody says that. So that's one of those famous controversial Rambam things. But to tell you the truth, uh, to tell you the truth, you know, I never, I mean, for years I, I knew about that, but the more I studied, the less I see people screaming at the Rambam. He's not saying that's the only reason. He's saying one of the reasons. And the Rambam himself, at the end of Hilchus Me'ila, which I believe I read to you, took it to the Rambam at the end of, end of Hilchus Me'ila. He says, oh, Karbanas is sublime, and the guy make fun of us, and nevertheless, we say that we do it anyway, and we double down on our uh, on our frumkite. Uh, that's a different voice of Maimonides. Now, mind you, he wrote the Mishnah Torah with that from thing 
in his 30s. He wrote the Mar Nebuchim with the more philosophical thing in his 40s, late 40s. So uh, he didn't change his mind. By the way, the Raalbach says what I'm saying. Of all things, the Raalbach, who's supposed to be left of the Rambam, he said the Rambam doesn't say that's the total reason for a carbon. He says that's one of the re- one of the reasons. You understand if it's one of the reasons, one way of understanding it. Uh, so that makes a big difference. Uh, as I said before, the reason I'm mentioning that is because uh, you do find many Chazals uh, that go with that idea, which is that the whole purpose of Michigan was to wean the people away from the Avodah which they were hooked on. And uh, we have later on the book of Iqra, every uh, Basar Taiva, right? That, you know, from now on, there's a rule in the desert that nobody can eat meat unless they take it in Shechda de Olmo. What does that mean? Aaron and the priesthood is designated to carry out the slaughtering of the animal, because the Jews, even after the Ten Commandments and even after the Golden Calf, are still uh, uh, worshiping demons, Seirim, Shadim. Uh, you can't get it out of people. So the only way to do it is by subjecting it to like coronavirus control. You know, everything is highly centralized. You have to bring, anytime you want to eat something, has to be caught. You have to bring it to the Ohel Moed, Pesach El Moed, Lo Hevio, and, you know, the Kohen will will, will, uh, will will take care of it for you. And there is even a medrash that says, I don't have it in front of me, I saw this yesterday, a medrash that, which was uh, amazing, which is that the idea of the Kohen, of the, um, Cohen doing it for you is that now when the coin shafts it, it doesn't matter what you think. Even if you think it's for Avodah it's the guy who does the shafting and the uh, and the slot and the preparing of the carbon that's koveya. Uh, I think it was a medrash in Shir Shir maybe. Uh, it was pretty remarkable. Even if the guy offering the carbon is thinking of Avodah so imagine that somebody's in the Mishkan. Uh, that's a Chazal. I said that's somebody in the Mishkan. And you see the Shechina and all the other miracles in the Mishkan, and he still think of the Seirim or something like that. And uh, the, But you give it to the coin, and the idea is, little by little, we wean the person away from this, or you try to. So you see, and with this I conclude, a new um, era in, how should I, relationship, relating between God on the one hand and the world on the other. Before, when he left Egypt, there was at least a, a chance that this should become a universalistic kind of business, but it didn't work out. If anything, as we always say, is the good kid next to the bad kid? Will the good kid make the bad kid good, or will the bad kid make the good kid bad? Now, once in a blue moon, but only rarely, do you find that the good boy is must be on the bad boy. Most of the time, it's the other way around. That's just a fact. Agree? That's the way it goes. And that's what happened in Egypt, or rather, in the aftermath of Egypt. We're about to celebrate Pesach, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but there's an aftermath of Pesach. After the Jews crossed the Red Sea, they brought the Erev Rav with them, and did the Jews make the Erev Rav from, or did the Erev Rav make the Jews unfrom, to use simple language? And it's the latter. That's the way we're told, anyway, right? That's the way we're told. And uh, there's even a famous expression, you know, which says, Lech Rei Kishich Isamcha. The God says, Back in Harsina, you know, go down with the tablets because your people have gone off the derech, have gone corrupt. They made a golden calf. And Moshe says, my people? And I should say, I'm referring to the Rav, which you insisted on bringing along. I told you bring only the Jews. I'm, I'm basically paraphrasing by memory almost the exact words of the Manish That I told you I only... God says, I wanted that only the Jews should go out because... And this is my interpretation. I understood that first you have to secure your base. 
get the Jews on the monotheistic path, and then we're worried about bringing others aboard. You're bringing the heir of Rab, Atoshi, he said, Kosh you were like NCSY, you said, you are frumer than me. That's the language the Medrash says that God spoke to Moshe. You were more from than me. You said, Then anybody who wants to become from you have to take them in. And I said not. So it's a little bit like a machlokes beisham beisel, sort of. You know, because beisham said only the super from can be on the Sanhedrin. You have to be tovim and rich and all this stuff. And beisel said, no, bring everybody aboard. A lot of bums became, this officer of Nelson says these words. A lot of bums became from and told through a base hill uh, approach. I get that, but there are always going to be these two approaches, Bisham and Bishol. When the Jews leave Egypt, God is taking the Bisham approach. Only keep the Jews, the Jewish Jews. Don't bring others, even though, uh, you know, they'll be, was it denied their, their spiritual desires? Because it won't work out. The Mishkan ends up being an example of the extreme particularism. And, uh, I mean, here's a good question. Was the era of Ravel out into the Mishkan? Were they still around by the time this is over? Now they were, according to the Rambam, because the Asafsuf is identical with the era of Ravel. You hear about the Asafsuf complaining about the food later on. So even though there's a Mishkan, you see the Shekhin, all the rest of it, there are people that are Kivras Hataiva and all this sort of business, uh, which always, don't they always mess up the story? You know, here you have all this grand and sublime stuff. You have the Shekhinah, now you have a Mishkan, you have a Kohen Gadol and a Kodesh Kadoshim. They have people complaining about the food, you know? People say, let nitna rosh from the shul mitzrayimah. One way of understanding it is, I would suggest, uh, as you go through Vayikra and Sabah and Shemini and, and Tazriyam and Sarah, all the rest of it is, to try to think of the historical reality, which is, they're next to Harsina, but God's not speaking for Harsina anymore. He's only speaking from down here. And he's speaking in a low voice that only Moshe can hear. And, uh, he's, speak, and he's telling rules that apply strictly and only to the Jews. Sometimes, even within the Jews, like special rules for Kohanim. You know, it becomes extremely uh, narrow and exclusivistic. And uh, a lot of the Jewish religion, let's put it this way, the from world has been like that ever since. You know, for better or worse, from world has been, we're, we're a, a narrow and exclusivistic kind of a group. Even though theoretically we're committed to spreading the word about, uh, you know, one God and all the rest of it, we don't really do it. You know, we have enough trouble just holding on to our own. The from world is a very uh, narrow and particularistic kind of business. Uh, whether or not that has to do with the coronavirus, you leave to your local uh, sermonizer. But anyway, I just wanted to share those few words, because I, as I said before, this is the fruit of what I was cogitating on on Shabbos, and I think if you take the trouble to look up O.L. Moen and try to get definitions on it, and, you know, look up in books, go online, I'm, se- I'm very serious. You'll find it's very confusing, right? And O.L. Moed is understood this way, and O.L. Moed is understood that way, but what I just presented you, I think is incontestable. There used to be Harsinai, then it was a Moses tent on Mount Sinai, and then there's the tent of the Jewish people at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, anyway, have a good week. I hope to uh, get out a few podcasts this week if everything works out, but we'll see. Well, you know, we're all in uh, new territory. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.